0: Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening to you, depending on when you've tuned into this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. Now, you'll either be watching this on YouTube, Vimeo or another video platform, or you may well be listening to the audio version on iTunes or your other favourite podcast platform. Whichever it may be, either under the little speaker symbol on the podcast, there will be the links to this gentleman's websites, social media outlets, YouTube, and all those kind of normal things. Uh, If you're on the video channels, look in the written description underneath. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to welcome to the show this week uh, basically one of the major names in the world of coaching and NLP, a living legend who has published numerous books, Bear with me for about 30 seconds. I'm not giving you the full titles. I'll be here forever. Books including the NLP workbook leading with NLP. Free yourself from fears with NLP, NLP and health coaching with NLP. How to be a master coach. Introducing NLP. Absolutely bloody excellent book if you've no background in NLP. Great starting one. Successful selling with NLP, principles of NLP, not pulling strings, applications of NLP to teaching and learning music, training with NLP, another particularly good one if you've got no prior knowledge of NLP. Uh, NLP and relationships, NLP and health. I could go on his most recent one from 2019. It's Coaching the Brain, Practical Applications of Neuroscience to Coaching, which is co-authored with Andrea Ah, and he'll tell me how to pronounce his Lages, like lag, like lag, L A out Larges, Larges. Okay. there we go, I apologise to her um, he, As well as NLP he's also the UK um, he, he, he runs trainings licence with permission, the official Paul Ekman micro expressions, which you may have come across if you have ever seen the Lie to Me television show, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later Um He's won awards, including the Medal of the National Community of Leadership Institute in Singapore and all all sorts of other things. In other words, when it comes to NLP and coaching stuff, he knows what he's talking about. So it's a privilege to welcome to the show Joseph O'Connor. How are you doing, sir?
1: Thank you very much. I'm doing fine, especially after that introduction. Well, it's all true. It's all true. when you're called a living legend it makes me feel about 90 which is I'm some some years off that yeah
0: sorry i did right. not right. mean it to have that um, <laughs> no no yeah. just just kidding just kidding so what got you here what's your journey what 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 what, what was your journey cuz there was a time when you weren't a coach when you weren't involved in NLP or anything like this what what, what brought you to where you are now
1: Oh, okay um how long is this lasting um (laughs) (laughs) okay quick version or fairly quick version uh i originally trained in music i was a classical guitarist and uh i played classical guitar gave concerts i taught i was also in a rock band because this was the 60s after all and everyone was in a rock band in the 60s um so i was doing a lot of teaching and a lot of performing on guitar which was great And uh, the couple of questions that kept coming to mind was, first of all, well, how do you manage performance? Because you can play extremely well, but you get up on stage and all those people looking at you. And uh, somehow, sometimes your skill deserts you. Uh, And this was particularly true when I was teaching and I would teach some very good players. So they would come in, they would sit down, uh, they would get their guitar out. I'd go and say, "I'll, I'll get some glass of water or a cup of coffee. And uh, I'd listen at the door and they'd start practicing and invariably they would play extremely well. So then I come in, you know, teacher teacher arrives, sits down looking stern and uh, play your piece, please. And almost guaranteed it was much, much worse than it was when I heard it before. So what happens? Um, their capability is identical. Uh, it hasn't changed in a couple of minutes since I've gone out. Um, I'm not a particularly scary person. So it's something going on in their head. It's the, it's the inner game. It's the inner opponent. It's, uh, you know, judgments, mental models, whatever you want to call it. And for the uh, concert players, most of my work as a, as a teacher, guitar, was actually overcoming those sort of gremlins, rather than teaching them anything technical, because they, they knew the technique so you know that was interesting that's about performance and it doesn't matter whether you're performing the guitar in front of people or on stage or giving a presentation or a training or anything like that the the dynamics are the same you have to be able to to manage that and to be able to give your best or better Mm -hmm. so that was one question and the other question was how do you teach I mean how do you actually how do you actually impart knowledge in a way that fits the other person that they can understand it and it was those two questions really that that brought me to coaching uh well to nlp first and the book on uh teaching well teaching and learning music uh with nlp not pulling strings which was my first book and uh, which i'm still proud of um and i think i do believe the only book on on music and nlp around
0: i've certainly when i was doing checking up on your other book titles uh I'd never come across one linked in that way. And I sort of thought, oh, well, right. And I was going to ask you, what was it about? But you've wonderfully read my mind and um, answered that. And it makes complete, total sense. Um, I hate to slip in for viewers and listeners who maybe don't yet have any formal or any background, maybe in NLP, you may be more in hypnosis or different... Um, modality names, whatever. It, you, in NLP, they talk a lot about changing people's states. It's the emotional state or mental state that they're in. And what came across what you were saying there is that without you there as Mr. Teacher, almost the, 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 the stern teacher, but also the person they might slightly be scared of because clearly he, he's better than me, so he's going to be judging could set off all those negative states and feelings and emotions in them. And that's a book I think I'm going to have to have a, a read of because my daughter's heavily into, I'm, I'm not musical at all, but my daughter's into keyboard, guitar and a whole bunch of stuff. Listen, if
1: you can walk without falling over and if you can modulate your voice, you are musical. Okay. <laughs> because what is, what's music after all? It's rhythm and pitch, basically. Manipulation of rhythm and pitch. So if you can, if you can uh, do different voice tones and if you can walk without falling over, in other words, rhythmically move, mm-hmm. you're musical.
0: Well, thank you. That's a different <laughs> reframe as NLP would call it. It makes me think differently. However, it doesn't improve my uh, voice sound on karaoke. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: well, that's something else.
0: <laughs> so NLP. Before it led into the um, coaching and stuff, and you've explained like, what were your motivating triggers to go and seek out the answers to those questions. What what route did you take when you started learning NLP then? Was it live training? And was it,
1: you know, well, yeah. was it weird, I mean, this, you know? We're, we're, this is going back now to nineteen beginning of 1980s. When there really wasn't much. So training. this was the emb-
0: that was the embryo stage, really, wasn't it? It was eighty one when Frogs into Princes, Bandler and Grinder was published.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, really, what, what? <laughs> I, you could say I got into NLP originally through a music workshop. I uh, went to some uh, playing the guitar. Right there was a very interesting guy called Gilbert Biberian, who was a wonderful uh, guitarist and very interested in the, the so-called psychological side as well, the performance side. And he used to give uh, kind of small group gatherings, uh, trainings for guitarists. And um, I, I was along there once and he had, a, uh, he had a guest, David Gaster, who was one of the first people uh, to set up uh, NLP trainings in the UK not first, but one of the first. Uh, he'd been out with uh, Bandler and Grinder in the States and he was talking all this about uh, you know matching and, and rapport and, and eye movements and I thought this was fascinating so I went back and I read everything that I could about it which was about three or four books at that time and then thought well you know this is clearly a, a full body sport if I'm going to get interested in this can't really do it from books I still have to go and do training so I did um, several and uh, that kind of brought me brought me into it and on the basis that the best way to learn anything is to train it yourself I got into training quite early.
0: Well hence your prolific back catalogue of um, books some of which are uh, extremely big sellers and leaders in the field I mean two in particular I'll mention again for anyone who's not got any NLP background or knowledge and wants to start looking into it, introducing NLP. And the other one, training with NLP. It's just my opinion, but introducing NLP after that one, if you read the training with NLP, even though you may not have had much in the way of real-world experience of using what's in introducing NLP, will give you another level of... It, I think those two work really well together.
1: Uh, I must just tell you that um, introducing NLP was the first book and it was it was a book put together for an, uh, a big gap in the market which was there was no book kind of bringing together all the the, the tools and the ideas and even the, the bibliography which was mm-hmm. quite small in those days of NLP so it was kind of overdue uh, meta meta view if you like uh, of NLP there just wasn't one so that was the idea of that it was published by Thorson's and the original cover I've got a picture of it somewhere. It was amazing. Um, It was a picture of a kind of redwood forest in in, uh, California, which I suppose is appropriate, uh, with sunlight filtering through and a girl looking very hippie with long hair, sitting on a a kind of flying, small flying saucer. All right. uh, Floating in the air. (laughs) This was the first cover when NLP was more like um, you know in, in, the, in I, they rebranded it a few years after as business but this was when it was alternative stuff you know weird and wonderful alternative stuff so uh, it would it would sit in in that part of the bookshelf and anyone picking up the book would go oh you know uh, third age stuff and then they rebranded it to a nice Plain blue cover. A couple of years later, and uh, it went more into business. But that was the first one. Um, but I, I've got to also mention. Hold on. This one.
0: You've got a gas lift chair, I'm guessing, because yeah, it went down yeah. and up. Coaching with NLP. Yeah.
1: Here we go. That's that was one of the latest, at least in, in NLP coaching in NLP. Um, But that was, again, a few years ago. But, yeah, a lot of books. I I basically wrote books on things I was interested in and wanted to learn about. So I didn't write books from the point of view, I know everything about this and and I'm going to dump it on some pages so everyone else can find out. Uh, I I thought, of what am I interested in learning about? And and then I would research it and, and try and write a book about it on the grounds that if I did all the heavy lifting and spade work, then it was much easier for the person reading the book because I started from the same position as them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that seemed to work. So you know, I think I'm an important
0: worried. thing to remind viewers and listeners of is, because especially that you've just said, well, you kind of, you started doing that, you started what you were interested in and then sort out the research and the knowledge. But at that point, you didn't necessarily have the experience because you d- didn't know what all the knowledge was relevant to that particular area. But over the years, you most definitely have got experience in all the areas because you've been incredibly successful working in coaching of all different types of arenas, um, right up to big blue chip corporate companies and stuff. So I think it's important to stress that you've actually um, also been out there walking the walk, so to speak.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm not claiming the imposter syndrome or anything Mm. like that. I'm just saying that uh, that was the way I learned. Um, and I enjoyed it very much. And in in the in the research and the writing, I learned a lot about it. And, and then in the training, I learned more. And and you know, so it so it builds.
0: Now NLP, and um, everyone has their own different perceptions, beliefs, opinions, and all that. So there's no there's no right or wrong. These are not trick questions. It's just my view that NLP kind of. I know the techniques can be used, techniques, strategies, call them what you will, used in different contexts for different um, intended outcomes. But there tends to be a bit of a a, a kind of division now where there is NLP that's sort of therapeutic. um, And, you know, you, you have got books out to, you know, overcome your fears with NLP. Classically, people are likely, even if they haven't got an NLP background, if they're involved in hypnosis, they're very likely to have heard of the NLP fast phobia cure or the swish pattern. And then you've got your business side, peak performance, motivation, state management, more, more what would I say, is coaching. It's, so it's kind of become coaching and therapy. Now, obviously, you've done both. Because you've got books in both areas, but it does seem that you've ended up doing way more on the coaching side.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm not a therapist, and and I never considered myself as a therapist. Um, I, I've been interested in in. I mean, if you take NLP, look, full disclosure here, I don't do as it were NLP anymore. Um, I. I I use the insights that I got from NLP, which are extremely useful in coaching, um, because coaching is is an area, a practical area and a profession, which you can use these sort of things together with, with, of course, with other things. Now, if we define NLP, as far as it can be defined, at least the one I like, as the study of the structure of subjective experience, then you have... Well, okay, you're studying it. There's a structure to it, it's not random. All the things that go on in your head are not random. There is a structure to it. Uh, Subjective, it's yours, uh, and it's your experience. And from those, there are the three big ones, of course, which are goals, what do you want? Values and emotions, what is important to you? uh, And what do you feel strongly about? And beliefs, or as I prefer to think of them as mental models, ideas that we have about ourselves and the world, that we act as if they're true. And uh, as long as they're more or less fit reality, then we get along. And as soon as we don't, we stub our toe on reality and hopefully we change them. So those three, to me, are, are what are most important in MLP. And they're exactly, of course, what a coach deals with. Um, in any sort of context so that's that that was my journey through music through NLP through psychology to um, to coaching particularly business coaching because I, I like to do that um, and then more recently f- filling in uh, some of the gaps I think in coaching which is the neuroscience bit so I, I kind of I kind of like to see where the gaps are <laughs> in in what I'm doing and then see if I can find out about them.
0: And then ultimately be in a position to provide something other people are not initially till you've written a book about it and then teach other people. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then you're creating competition for yourself. But, um, there's a phrase that people might have heard if, they, if they've stumbled across NLP, but not yet dug into it, not yet. But do feel the need to go to the website below. There will also be a link to Amazon, so you can go and buy Joseph's books. Um, the map is not the territory. Can you explain how that... what that phrase means to you in terms of what you do?
1: Oh, um, I don't think Kozinski ever said that, actually, um, although it's credited to him. If... obviously any representation that you can make uh, of something else is not going to be that thing and therefore it's going to be a model it's going to be uh, seriously or well it's going to fall short of the real thing so you could say that uh, we live in the world we have no idea what this world is really like we have filters of what's out there and the filters are our senses, sense organs, in other words, we we get information only through our sense organs and therefore we only perceive what is allowed in through our sense organs, Mm -hmm. um, which then gives us some representation, some map of what's out there. And if the map is a reasonable one, then we'll be able to, to get along okay. And for the most part, I guess it is then when we start to use words and try to explain this to somebody else then you've got a map of a map and then you're even further from the, the raw experience and this is where of course communication tends to break down very often
0: a bit like chinese whispers
1: yeah 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 um sure you it, it's it just doesn't work And um, so yeah we we tend to assume that not only the map is the territory. In other words, we are giving a, first First of all, we assume that we are getting a true, whatever that means, representation of what's out there. Um, secondly, we assume that we understand it. And thirdly, we assume that we can perfectly well explain it to somebody else. And I'm not sure about any of those three assumptions. Cool,
0: I've got, my eyes occasionally look down people at home. That's because I've got bullet points and notes here to prompt my mind. You mentioned earlier your book, Not Pulling Strings, application of NLP to teaching and learning music. And you you gave us a great example of how not being in the room, they could play better than being in the room, which obviously is different state of mind, body, emotion, thought, all those things. How does that cross over? I know it does. That's why I'm purposely asking you. How does that cross over into sort of coaching business people and in companies?
1: Well, we all have a, a brain, and brain works much the same. So we're we're all prey to the way that the way that we make our our mental models uh, prone to to you know fake news and wrong information. We have a lot of cognitive biases uh in terms of of how we judge other people ourselves and, and the world and those sort of things are true in every sphere i mean that it doesn't matter whether you're a, a guitarist on stage or whether you're a business person making a, a presentation to the board you're likely to meet the same sort of challenges which is very often they are judging me i am no good I don't know this you know etc etc which is going to stop you from giving your best so a coach is basically somebody who helps another person to to find their best uh, to give their best in a particular context which may be more or less challenging Uh, it doesn't coach doesn't give suggestions doesn't try to fix them doesn't tell them what to do but brings out from them their their best resources so I, I don't see any, uh, I see this, you know, with NLP is always about structure and, and not content and coaching is the same.
0: So you're kind of. Helping the person in whatever context it is, business, personal, whatever to. Generate or realize more options that could be open to them and choices and then to help them choose a different path type of thing if what they're currently doing isn't working the best for them?
1: Yeah, the, the way I think about it is that um, when someone comes for, for coaching with a problem, um, I like to say that the problem is not the problem. The problem is how you're thinking about the problem. Okay. Because, you know, the world is just the world, right? It's There it is. And take it or leave it. Now, when it becomes a problem, you are thinking about it in a particular way. And that particular way is causing some difficulty or pain or block or obstacle or whatever it is uh, from what you want. So what a coach does, I think, is basically help the person to change the way that they are thinking about the 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 reality because you're not going to change reality right um in the same way that somebody comes and complains about their boss or their spouse a coach or or, or anybody is not going to say well okay let's change them and then everything will be okay uh, however much the client might feel that that's actually the answer um it's about how are you thinking about this you know that's that's the issue so then what you get then is um a change of mental models, a change of way a way of thinking, and an ability to get better information about what's going on, an ability to avoid what's often called a confirmation bias, which is that we tend to see and remember things that um, that basically reinforce what we thought or thought already, yeah? whatever our ideas are we notice all the confirmations that we read in the paper and other people say and come up on Facebook and everything else. And we tend to ignore or even just not notice at all those things that go against it. And this tends to set us very much in in our world, um, which is why it's it's very important to to have what I sometimes call in coaching uh, or going into alternate realities, which Mm -hmm. is, okay, let's suppose for a moment, that there was another explanation to what you just said. Uh, Let's let's see what that is. And we're not saying you're wrong. We're simply saying, um, let's explore another alternate reality to the one that you've just presented because it might be more interesting, might be more free. And then yes, out of that different thinking, uh, a client will find more choices, a choice which they had not thought about before because they didn't have the mental models to support
0: it. Kind of taking someone who's blinkered one-direction confirmation bias, as you said, and making them see the opportunities that were already there, but they were just blind to them, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the world is an amazing, complicated and fantastic place, and... and it's just we we see very very little of it and when we put our blinkers on which we all have it's just part of the deal and we see even less so you know it's opening our eyes it's opening our ears it's opening our, our senses and being open to what's there and not trying to change it well not trying to change it in terms of what's there you know <laughs> as somebody said if you argue with reality you'll you'll lose a hundred percent of the time so you it's not about you of course we want to we want to change things we we set goals and we try to achieve those things um but the the magic is in the journey and when we don't achieve them then you know that's that's just the way things are that doesn't make us failures or losers it just makes that (laughs) reality has gone this way and not not our way
0: yeah i completely agree with you um i'm just to try and kind of point this in a certain direction. If someone watching or listening to this was to go and get, let's say, introducing NLP and training with NLP, maybe even you know, overcoming your fears with NLP, just to start off with. And they start to use, utilise some of the techniques that they'll learn within the pages of those books. A knock-on effect will be that they will arguably change their reality law isn't it because they will be able to manage their states differently they'll be able to um overcome the phobia for example in which case their reality's changed so
1: yeah yeah sure the, the real you know we we see as they say we, we see who we are not what's out there um so yes if you you, you read anything, um, of course, I uh, recommend my books, but uh, certainly the, the, the brain is such that it's changing all the time. You know, when, after this interview, your brain will be different, my brain will be different. After listening to this interview or seeing it, anyone who does so, their brain will be different because the brain's a verb. The, the brain is constantly changing all the time In relation to the experience that it's presented. So, and the brain will faithfully um, reproduce the the habits that we continue to do, however stupid it might be. So, you know, if you have a mental model or a mental model of, you know, I'm no good at playing the guitar, and you keep repeating that to yourself, and you, through confirmation bias, see all sorts of reasons why that's true, and you focus on every mistake then your brain will faithfully strengthen that pattern uh, in the nerve cell connections, and that is, will become your default way of thinking. And you know, we're very clear about, um, about physical habits. You know, if, I, if you want to get good at guitar, you practice. You, you play over and over again, paying attention, and you will learn to do that better, playing tennis, anything like that. But sometimes we forget that the same applies to, to our thoughts. And our thoughts also make channels in the brain, physical channels in the brain, that become thinking habits. And um, the brain doesn't discriminate between empowering um, mental models and uh, disempowering mental models it will faithfully reproduce them. So this is why I think it's very important to be constantly thinking in terms of what, you know, what's empowering for you uh, and, to explore and to do new things, rather than staying in one place, however comfortable it might be.
0: Which comfortable brings up that wonderful phrase people are bound to have heard, whether it's NLP, not the bound to comfort zones, get out of oh, your yeah, comfort, comfort zone, zone. Um, which obviously links in with fear of failure, fear of success, and um, I, personally believe more people end up um stopping themselves from doing things because of they're not consciously aware of it i don't think but because of fear of success would they be ready for what that would mean to them in life more so than fear of failure what's your kind of view on that
1: yeah sure um no we we fear fear to as far as the brain is concerned and our subjective experience uh, it's an away from, isn't it? We feel threatened. There is a threat to us and because a threat to life and limb is very important during evolution, uh, you know, we've evolved to pay particular attention to threats, you know, because they, they could be fatal.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
1: no evolutionary bonus for feeling happy. <laughs> you go along feeling happy, you could get eaten by a, a saber-toothed tiger. But uh, if you're always on the alert for, for any threat, you're likely to survive and, and pass on to your children. So that's why the, the, the emotion of fear is so compelling. It's there to save your life originally. And it's there to show you that there is a threat. Now, unfortunately, um, the, the part of your brain, the amygdala that deals with that, doesn't, isn't very discriminating in terms of, of different sorts of fears. So you can feel threatened by all sorts of things. You know, you can, of course, you can th- feel threatened by someone they're, uh, looking like they're going to be physically violent. But you can also be threatened by not having enough likes on your Facebook page or whatever it might be. Yeah. Because your, your um, reputation or whatever it might be, your values will be threatened. This will make you feel anxious. This will make you feel afraid. So that's one thing. Um, The second thing is our brain is amazing in terms of being able to time travel. So we can put ourselves in imaginary futures, very unpleasant imaginary futures, and feel extremely threatened and fearful and anxious about them while sitting perfectly comfortable in our chair. Uh, (laughs) I used to do it uh, with, with dental appointments, you know make a dental appointment and then about a week before i start to think oh god, I've got to go to the dentist I probably have to have a filling could even be a root canal oh my god the last root canal was terrible I couldn't stand it uh and and before long you know I <laughs> I would be terrified um of something that hasn't happened
0: negative and, future pacing
1: well yeah but it, it's yeah. exactly but it's future pacing it's it's not building castles in the air, it's building dungeons in the air. We can future pace anything. Uh, and unfortunately, we, t- we often tend to future pace unpleasant things. And then we leave out the second step, which is, how can I avoid this? <laughs> we, just, we just jump into it and feel bad, rather than going, okay, well, it's a possibility. It hasn't happened yet. How can I make sure it doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. Um, but you, yeah, you were talking about fear. So well, yes, we can fear success. Um, whatever success might mean. And we can fear failure, and we can, we can fear everything in between. So, you know, fear in itself is fine. I, I don't believe in any negative emotions. Fear is, is there to be helpful. It's just that uh, it can put us in some difficult places unless we are able to, to manage it in the right way.
0: Fear loosely, well, I say loosely, it kind of segues nicely into mentioning pain and pleasure, the motivating things. And it kind of doesn't work, or at least in my experience, it doesn't kind of work the way most people who haven't studied it or or tried things out would think it would, logically. Um, And by that, I mean... know some things out there say oh yeah people your your mind's there to always do whatever's going to make you safe or at least what it thinks is going to make you safe and happy and bring you towards pleasure and away from pain and yet in my experience to get people to actually make a change certainly therapeutically anyway may not necessarily be the same in coaching that's your definite area of expertise that's what i want to ask is that we have to really ramp up the pain of what they're currently not doing that they want to do, or rather what they're doing that they want to stop, say it was smoking. We've got to ramp up the pain so they're more likely to stop if it becomes painful than being motivated by the pleasure of saving money, being healthier, ironically. And yet conscious logic says it should be the other way around.
1: Well, Pain is always more motivational than uh, than pleasure in a way, uh, you know. We, it, it's got to be because pain hurts you. It can it can uh, harm you. It could even kill you. So pain is another signal that something's wrong, and you better do something about it. Which is why, whatever you're concentrating on, um, you you get a pain, and it, it is going to distract you. Um, and we are very loss-averse, just naturally. Our, our thinking, our brain is very loss-averse. We hate losing much more than we like winning. So um, you can say, yes, pain is is motivational. And it uh, has but to be
0: really but, ramped up, because, uh, you know, people who want to stop smoking, they decide... I'm using smoking as an example. They might go, yeah, I definitely want to stop. I've got the motivation of health. Uh, I'll have more money. I'll smell. You could have a list as long as you arm of things that could be classed as pleasurable benefits of stopping. But they don't. And the pet, although they're not feeling so good, the are skinned, people are giving them grief, which are painful things. And each time they have one, they might have got to the point that they're actually not enjoying it as such. But I kind of liken it to the uh, lobster in the... Um, you're frogging the...
1: Frogging the boiling water, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the hot water that gradually gets towards boiling, but you don't notice it because it's getting hotter yeah. and
0: hotter
1: in degrees. And um, I, I, I can't share your enthusiasm for ramping up the pain. Because if
0: you really ramp up the bloody pain, then <laughs> boom. I
1: yeah, mean, all yeah. right,
0: might be classed as aversion therapy that, but, you know, with even with um, changing the pain, pleasure, swish or whatever... You can make it so that it, even the thought of a cigarette just so revolts on all levels that well, that's, that's another, all they need.
1: That's another matter. Uh, I think there's there's many things involved here. One is that people will avoid pain. So if you ramp up the pain, they will avoid you. <laughs> that's the first thing. Yeah. Um you know what it's like, you can tell you can tell people how bad things are going for them. And if they don't stop, then this bad thing will happen. And they'll switch off because they don't like what you're saying, it's painful. So they will avoid it. And they'll say, no, no, it's not like that. You know, it's uh, something else. And then the rationalizations will start. So I, I think you've got to be careful about talking about pain like that. I, I think that um, certainly pointing out the, the consequences of not changing is, is important when you're dealing with a change, right? There's there's the, the good things about changing that you want, and there are the bad things that will happen if you don't change. But the, this, it's difficult, and especially if you're gonna deal with something like smoking, Because smoking is a a chemical addiction. Nicotine is extremely addictive chemical. It messes with your brain. It hijacks the dopamine pathways. And it's extremely difficult to give up just on a a physical basis. So um, it's something that you've got to deal with a little bit differently when you're dealing with the physical addictions of which nicotine is one and not just take the, the psychological point of view. Um, you can, of course, you, I'm not saying that you have to uh, take, get some sort of uh, chemical um, cure for, for smoking or anything else. It's possible to, to stop smoking without that. I stopped smoking. Um, I woke up one uh, this is many, many years ago, uh, I woke up one day and thought uh, it was almost like smoking had given me up. Uh, I just didn't want to anymore. Whereas all the trying and all the thing about, oh my God, you know how bad it is for me, blah, 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 didn't stop me at all. But when I was ready, it, it just happened, it literally it happened overnight. And I and I stopped. But that that I'm not saying that's the way forward, I'm just saying what's happened to me. Um, so with regard to you know the pain and pleasure thing, these are built into the brain. They're built into us as human beings that it's you either avoid something because it's painful or you approach something because you believe it's going to be pleasurable. And, and this leads to wanting and this of course leads to our goal focus, although it's important to say that wanting about
0: them getting blurred. you what? What about them getting blurred? What getting blurred? Which one? Pain and pleasure, because um, we won't go too deep into it. But there are there's a whole subculture of BDSM, bondage, domination, sadomasochism, where it that they get pleasure from the pain.
1: Yeah, they, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not going into that. Certainly, you can get pleasure from all sorts of things.
0: But the similar situations I think happening, I've spoke to, for example, um, people who work in the city, in you know, stocks and shares and stuff were incredibly high pressure situations mm-hmm. that aren't particularly good for the stress levels or health, really. And they know this and that to them If it was just down to that, they would go and find a different job. But they say they are addicted, you know, if we say that's like the pain of the side effects side, but they're addicted to the highs that they feel when things do go up and they sell at the right time and all this. So you're almost getting the pain and pleasure blurred confusion in the business arena there.
1: Well, I think there's, you know, we would be careful about blurring the, you know, what is pain and what is pleasure. Um, Basically, pain is something that you move away from, and pleasure is something that you move towards. In terms of, you know, basic brains and human beings, Uh, and that can be all sorts of things. And yeah, there's many people in high-pressure jobs under a great deal of stress, which is over time chronically going to affect their health in a bad way but they're okay at the moment it's the old story you know everything's fine until it isn't basically uh, i'm okay now nothing's happened and i'll continue and yeah and there's a good deal of reward to that there's a good deal of of uh, of pleasure to it and and reward and a lot of money and and the adrenaline highs and everything else and great and you just got to be careful uh, that the cost of that doesn't creep up on you um and and lead to something bad and yeah. when we're, we're not very good at looking in the long term you know we we don't we don't do well at uh, how do they call it uh, you know it, it's like we we want rewards now we're not very good at waiting yeah and in terms of future punishment we tend to push push the pain or the punishment way into the future well it'll cost me but that's a long way away but i want this now <laughs> so you've got these these two things going on uh, and we discount yeah delay discounting it's called so we the delay on on the pleasure that we want uh, is very difficult to to manage but it's very easy to delay the punishment that's way into the future and this goes all the way back to the so-called marshmallow effect of uh, Walter Mitchell, back uh, many years ago of, of putting the four-year-olds in a, in a room with a, with a tasty treat, a marshmallow on the table, and saying, if you can uh, last for 15 minutes without eating that, um, you'll get two, and then see what happens. And the, the ability of those children at four to be able to uh, delay satisfaction of eating that marshmallow was a huge predictor to future uh, scholastic achievement, academic achievement, uh, even financial achievement and health, it's it's amazing. And about a third of them were able to to go the 15 minutes, most of them didn't. Uh, And they had some wonderful um, strategies for for trying to avoid it. Some of them would cover their eyes so they couldn't see the, the, the marshmallow on the table. Um, and, and some would take a very small bite out of it and hope that the experimenter didn't notice. Uh, and others would try to kind of look around the room at everything else. <laughs> but but this is it, you know, that, that four-year-old brain is, is still there in, in us you know, somewhere.
0: Hmm. How important do you think... Um nlp it's nlp the thing about nlp that i don't like is quite often it it came up with fancy terms for things that have always kind of existed for ages to make them sound more special than they are but in nlp they talk about core values as uh, you know compared to beliefs and um, meshing together kind of in the context of somebody might say you know my goal is um i want to be famous in whatever particular field um but because they haven't thought it through properly they've got what they truly want they they get there they become famous and then they realize the you know people treat them differently it also attracts a certain amount of negative attention there's all these things that they perhaps didn't think about because they didn't have a coach to help guide them um yeah. What, what do you help your clients see the bigger picture? I suppose is what I'm saying.
1: Um, well, yeah, sure. I mean, we, <laughs> if people get what they want, uh, then unless you're careful, you, you either get—is this as good as it gets? You know, oh, I got what I wanted. Well, is this as good as it gets? You know, why, why, why don't I feel happy? Uh, or, oh, my God, I got what I want, and I wish I hadn't, <laughs> which has been my experience sometimes. Mm. Um, you know, goal, it's it's about the journey, because you can't control the, the achievements anyway. Um, it, if, if the journey is important, and that's more about values, we can set our goals, but really, if we're honest, um, we're not in control of that. Uh, and the metaphor I like is climbing Mount Everest, you know? Um, you, you have a goal to climb Mount Everest. And you, you may or may not get to the top for all sorts of reasons. Yeah? Things may happen, pandemics may happen, uh, snowstorms may happen, uh, all, all sorts of things. You, it's not in your control. Okay. But what is what is in your control is the reasons why and the journey and the happiness that you feel in doing so as you move towards the top of the mountain, regardless of whether you get to the top. Now, if you get to the top, how long are you gonna spend there? Five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe. Actually, well, before, (laughs) I I saw a wonderful picture in the newspaper a few months ago of a queue of people going to the top of Mount Everest. There was a queue of about 200 yards, you know, up up to the top there. So you waited your turn With hardly any oxygen and and freezing cold until you could get up there and and take a selfie or whatever you do at the top and and then you come down again now you you spend five minutes at the top how long do you spend actually climbing the blooming mountain months Mm. so you'd better enjoy it and you better do it for a good reason Uh, and it better be important to you whether you reach there or not because it's the journey it's not the it's not the achievement.
0: It's a very powerful um, yeah, example. We, we, we've got about 10 minutes left, so I want to segue into mentioning uh, that you also officially are a trainer of uh, expressions and the stuff that Paul Ekman um, has become famous for and people most likely may have seen the TV show Lie to Me. Um, or indeed, you may, if you've got kids, you may well have watched um, Inside Out, the Disney Pixar film, which Paul mm. Ekman advised about how to basically emotional reactions and, and stuff. In, can you tell us a bit about your work in that area and how it slots into the overall package of what you offer?
1: Well, I think I think it's fascinating. Um, I mean, Paul Ekman was originally interested in in emotions uh, and emotional intelligence and that kind of field and he kind of got got into the uh, the the lie detection field through through his research about um, well he's famous of course for the research about uh, universal facial expressions of emotion
0: uh,
1: so, of course, his, his work on, on lie detection was pounced on, especially in, after, in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, but he was always interested in emotions. Um, and lie detection is, is about, uh, of course, language and also emotions because uh, when you misrepresent reality intentionally with a, with a view to, to misleading someone, then you, your words will change and you may well feel some emotional charge about that, maybe guilt or, or happiness or, or any sorts of things. And these will leak out. And this is the basis of, um, of detection deception. It's a fascinating field. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And, and uh, I've done some, uh, some work on that. Uh, in terms of coaching, and what's interesting about it, of course, is the emotional part, which is uh, the the facial expressions of emotion. So that when, when, when we are emotion, when we feel a particularly emo- a particular emotion, you don't have to calibrate these. So. When someone is feeling frightened, there is a a universal expression of fright that doesn't matter who they are or where they come from. You're gonna see it. Now it can be very subtle and it can be a micro expression. In other words, it can flit across the face in less than one fifth of a second. So you better be paying attention. Uh, This is because emotions in the brain, uh, we don't control them. When we are triggered for whatever reason, the emotion floods out and this leads to changes in the body. You know, it leads to increased heartbeat, to uh, blood pressure, uh, changes in skin tone and change in facial expression. And we're very, very sensitive to faces because they are a communication channel. So um, faces don't lie in terms of showing what emotion you're feeling. Now that's not to say that people are trying to tell you lies. I'll mean, give you an example, um, I was, I was uh, coaching an executive and uh, they were talking about um, a barbecue that they'd gone to with with, uh, it was like a a, a business barbecue all the other executives were there and people were having fun and it was a sunny day and uh, they were talking with each other and he was talking about this and he was saying you know it's a very pleasant experience and he was uh, talking about it as it was a pleasant experience he was saying it was and yet Every now and again, he'd flit across an expression of uh, sadness would, would go across his face very quickly. Now, uh, so what I do there is I think, OK, so um, he's looking sad for some reason. I have no idea why. Uh, I certainly don't assume that he's lying and that the whole barbecue was a sad experience, because clearly it wasn't. Um, so there's a there's two messages there. One is that parts of it he, he was happy in; other, there was something about it that he was sad about, maybe, or he was having some association as he was talking to some sad event in the past that was not in any way connected with that, and and that's what led to the to the facial expression. I I don't know; I have to ask. So I did, and and I don't go, oh, I caught you in some incongruence. You know, you're you're really sad here. You go something like, uh, yeah. The, sounds like a very pleasant experience. And yet I have this, this feeling, this idea, this intuition that, that, that there was something about it that, that made you a bit sad. What do you think? Am I, am I crazy? And then he he thought for a little while, and he said, yeah, you're right. Um, those, some of those conversations with other executives at the barbecue did make me feel sad in terms of, of what was happening to me uh, and the way that the company was going. So then we w- segued into a conversation about h- what was happening there, and that was extremely productive. And I'm not sure that he would have gone there if I hadn't given him that opportunity.
0: A very powerful tool, then.
1: Absolutely. So we don't we don't have. Um, we don't have a uh, license to rummage in other people's emotional handbags as uh, Paul Ekman says um, but if we see emotion then I think we can ask about it in a in a respectful way no being absolutely clear that you know this is what I perceive and I have no idea what it's about and you're perfectly free to deny it or say it's nothing to do with that or or anything but if it is you have a an opportunity to to talk about it so that's what i found that particularly useful in terms of my coaching anyway
0: Mm, it sounds like something that would be very useful to the astute therapist as well especially anyone who's involved in counseling or psychotherapy
1: type stuff i think it's i think it's absolutely essential uh, because you you'll see these emotions that they're there in the face, and they can't be—they can't be hidden. Of course, we—you know—once we're aware of showing an emotion, like you know, we get angry at something, but then we—we—we, we, we, you know, usually smile, and and stop it. But before that, fifth of a second. If you're watching, this is why when people are doing important interviews, there's two of them: one asks the questions, and the other one stays silent and just watches. <laughs> Nice. And then they compare uh, notes afterwards because it's very difficult, it's a big stretch to take in so much information that a, a human being will give you just in even one minute of conversation.
0: Interesting. I've got to be honest, I, did, well, I just assumed that, you know. Cause I've never had to have interviews like that. Always having been self-employed, but I, 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 am aware that people do, you know, have two, sometimes three people on a panel interviewing them, and I figured logically that was just because, um, you know, they had input between them. They all ran the company or whatever. But what you've just explained makes sense, yeah. If if one person's consciously focused on asking the questions and listening to the answers they're getting. They're not going to be aware of what the body language and facial expressions are coming out, which to the same degree.
1: No, it's very difficult. I mean, when I set up exercises in coaching or NLP, I'll, I'll I'll give people, you know, you watch the face, you listen to the words, you track the modal operators, you know, you watch the body language, because it's so hard to do all of that. Yeah, you, you can't, you can't do it all, so. And then you you'll you'll miss information or you'll you you may not get what's important whereas if you if you can spread your senses over four or five people this makes learning a lot easier
0: excellent well we're getting very close to the end so i just want to remind viewers and listeners That below the video if you're on a video platform where the written description is go and look in there if you're on your podcast look in what they call the show notes which is below the little speaker symbol and you will find various website links um and
1: before you go yeah i've got to show this
0: that's better coaching the brain which is practical applications of neuroscience to coaching which uh, you can go and find out more about at coachingthebrain.com um also um joseph's site for coaching companies and uh, individuals who can afford his fees as it were is lambent.com that's l-a-m-b-e-n-t but don't worry the links will be below Go on Amazon, just type in Joseph O'Connor.
1: Boom! Well, be, be careful. There is a very fine Irish novelist uh, called Joseph O'Connor. And if I you, uh, you type that in, you're liable to get his books.
0: This is... Well, you do, but you get all of yours. But you get five uh, f- uh, of his books and... Oh... Uh, I had to do extra research. I thought, I'm going to get this right. I'm not going to ask if you've written a, a novel. And I did some digging and I've managed to find <laughs> clarification that it is a different person. But you will get Joseph's NLP books come up. I mean, the easier way, just type in Introducing NLP Joseph O'Connor and then click on his name on that. And it will bring up all the rest of his um, NLP books, of which I have not read them all yet. Because I've certainly not read Coaching the Brain uh, that mm. I will put on the list. But. Um, but if you've not read any books on NLP, Introducing NLP and um, Training with NLP are the two that I personally say get first. And then the NLP workbook next and well, yeah, work through the rest as you can afford them and, and get them. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute privilege and an honour to, um, to speak in person with an individual whose books I've learned a lot from over the years. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. Do you prefer John or Jonathan or?
0: Whichever. Um, <laughs> I am not. It, it's a stage name. I'm Alex by birth, but Alex oh, okay. Smith sounds flat when I get introduced to events. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome live on stage, Alex Smith. It kind of, <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Royal. It's got that more showbiz busy kind of luck. Much,
1: much better. My father was an actor and... Uh, he, he knew about, you know, you have a stage name and, and you have your real name. And uh, it's, it's whatever looks best in lights. Apparently, six letters and six letters looks best if you're going to have it up in lights.
0: Plus, it's state management, almost like NLP. When introduced on stage as Jonathan Royal, that persona it's calm, relaxed, Mr Confident. Alex Smith caught unawares at a party yeah, yeah, and yeah. asked to do a party trick is a bit more, really? Yeah, so...
1: OK, well, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I hope that whoever is watching uh, will, will get some uh, enjoyment. And, uh, and I work. am
0: sure they will, especially if they go to the links below this video or the speaker and uh, take their study further. Thank you all for watching or listening. Thank you once again, Joseph. And Thank you. goodbye, everybody.